Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, so if anybody is guilty of looking ahead to what Georgia has in future weeks, admittedly, it is us. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about what I think, you know, by virtue of the rankings that are expected to be in place, assuming both these teams continue to win, maybe the biggest home game in Sanford Stadium history. I know that sounds like a crazy bold statement but but I mean we've chronicled this for you we started talking about this like you know a couple weeks ago that there was a really good chance that if Tennessee won it we didn't expect Tennessee to beat Alabama but we did say if they did beat Alabama you're talking about by virtue of rankings a game unlike any that's ever taken place between the hedges so obviously when something like that pops up there's going to be attention paid to that and we'll continue to do some of that we're still going to do some of that even on today's show because that's how large this thing looms here coming up in just a few weeks however there's also this thing for Georgia fans of hey you don't want to start thinking too much uh, into the future kind of taking the page and the cue from Kirby Smart there on that and then there's also just the genuine belief we have around here that in this particular year the Georgia Tennessee game may be the biggest most significant game that Georgia plays but when you think about this as a story told over the course of decades there is no rival that matters for Georgia more so than the lousy stinking Gators of Florida Apologies to Auburn. That may be the Deep South's oldest rivalry, but Georgia-Florida, we believe, is bigger. Tennessee may be a bigger game here right now, but this is not just a one-year story. This is a long-range thought process, and Georgia-Florida is just bigger. Now, as I was kind of talking about this some on our first and 15, which is a little bit of a video segment we do exclusively for those of us who watch on DogNation.com, the Dog Nation app, before we begin the show each and every day. And by the way, if you'd ever like to be a part of that, just go right to dognation.com. It's very easy to find right there at the top of the page, and you can be a part of what we're doing there. As I was kind of mentioning this before the show began, Johnny, one of our commenters, was like, yeah, B.A., you know, I remember Urban Meyer. I remember Steve Spurrier. Georgia's got a lot of payback to give to Florida. That's why the Florida game matters to me. And I think that's right. I I think that's absolutely true, that those of us who've got a little bit of age on us, I've lived through, through some heartbreakers. I'm talking about some devastating losses to to you know kind of florida over the years so it's a long time from now before i'm going to be done giving payback to florida for all that kind of stuff it's one of the reasons why i love having a coach like kirby smart who so deeply understands the nature of this rivalry i believe so genuinely enjoys beating up on florida in this rivalry it's kind of fun to have a coach like kirby because he kind of gets all that but let me do this here for a moment Let me also look ahead to the future here a little bit and explain why I think that Georgia-Florida is really important for the dogs coming up in a couple of weeks. And if you've been kind of thinking a lot about Tennessee or thinking a lot about anything other than Florida, why maybe kind of getting re-centered on all of this might be the right thing to do. And I want to use the example of Tennessee to kind of help make this point. So, Tennessee right now is in the midst of rebuilding its program, and it's taking big steps towards doing that. Got to win against Alabama. Is the first time in 15 years? A bit 15 years, or however long it's been since since Tennessee's been uh, you know beaten Alabama. Long, long time that's taken place, and that step was taken. Tennessee, after having really disastrous results under Jeremy Pruitt, disastrous results under Butch Jones, disastrous results under Derek Dooley. 
all of a sudden Tennessee's like ranked in the top four. They're a legitimate, it would seem right now, playoff contender. There's a big step towards all of that. And yet the next steps beyond that are really, really difficult to take. And here's the one thing I think you would logically agree with. That every single thing that Georgia has done to make Tennessee worse in recent years benefits Georgia right now. Because if Tennessee had been a little bit better in previous years, they might have a little bit better roster right now, which would make taking that next step in a game like Georgia coming up in a couple of weeks that much easier to take. But the truth is, is that Georgia's just been blasting Tennessee. Think about the 2017 game. Think about all the games which Jeremy Pruitt's kind of involved with. That, that, that Georgia's just kind of getting these dominant, easy wins against Tennessee. And over the course of these last few years, Georgia has been doing everything it could do to make a bad program look even worse. And now, when you think about this, at the time, some Georgia fans didn't really care about Tennessee anymore. But you better believe now, here in 2022, you are very, very glad for everything you did to prevent Tennessee from ever building any momentum whatsoever. That just kind of logically makes sense, right? The Tennessee is what it is right now, but it might be even better right now had Georgia not taken every opportunity to throttle it when it could. You would agree with that, right? All right, so let's think about Florida here for a moment because Florida is now where Tennessee was a few years ago, and Florida wants to be soon where Tennessee is right now. Now, who knows how long it lasts for Tennessee? More on that in coming weeks. And who knows if Florida ever gets there under uh, Billy Napier, who's you know bringing the uh, same brand of football he played in the Sun Belt with him to uh, Gainesville, uh, Florida here. Who knows if that ever takes place? But just like Georgia fans have every reason to be thankful and glad they beat up on Tennessee every year that it did along the way to f- maybe finally figuring some stuff out with, with, uh, with Josh Heupel, when you've got a chance to make things worse on arrival, you better believe you take advantage of that opportunity. When you've got a chance to take what has been a little bit of a down period for a team and make sure they stay down a little bit longer, you better believe you take advantage of every opportunity to do just that. Now, let me give you a couple of specific examples here. I saw a number yesterday. You ever see a stat and it's like shocking to you, even though technically you kind of remember all of these results? I saw a stat yesterday that completely blew my mind, but it became, I would say, kind of a source of motivation for Georgia to make things even worse for Florida going forward. Uh, Brett McMurphy is a good college football reporter. He works now for the Action Network, which is actually kind of a gambling website, but that's who McMurphy works for. And he put up a, a stat of like recent ineptitude in SEC play for SEC teams. Let me show you this. I found this to be I mean, just shocking. So over the course of the last 14 conference games in the SEC, Vanderbilt, as you might expect, is the worst. They are 0-14. Do you know that Florida is the second worst team in the SEC over the course of the last 14 games? They've only won three times in their last 14 SEC games. That's worse than Missouri, who's 4-10, along with South Carolina, who has the same record. Auburn's 5-9, which is also kind of funny. Arkansas is kind of 5-9, too, but they've you know, kind of rebuilt themselves from the awful Chad Morris era. If anything, uh, Sam Pittman's showing some signs of improvement on all of that. But how about Florida, which a couple of years ago thought it was like knocking on the door, being a playoff contender and, you know, in the top 10. And then, boom, you blink your eye and you go 3-11 and over the course of 14 SEC games. And if you're a Georgia fan, I think your only response to that is make it worse. Make it worse. Find a way to make that record look even worse. And by the way, if you want to look ahead for Florida, uh, on the other side of the dogs, they have to go to Texas A&M. Right now, Florida's a nine-and-a-half-point underdog if you want to 
you know, check look-ahead lines and things like that. So Georgia's probably not the last loss that Florida has coming here this year. And if Georgia really kind of beats up on Florida and makes it look as bad as it's supposed to, all of a sudden the ability of Billy Napier to have any claim to any success here in year one it becomes very hard to grasp at any of that. Yeah, they beat Utah, but nobody cares about beating a Pac-12 team. Um, I mean, that's just the, the way that goes. They had a chance to kind of salvage something last week against LSU in their own stadium. They proved incapable of doing that. So Georgia, by virtue of beating them as bad as you're supposed to, coming up in a couple of weeks, all of a sudden you, you kind of prevent any first-year momentum for Billy Napier at all, which is a really good thing. And you continue to kind of sow the seeds of – I don't know. There's no pro- there's no program in college football that seemingly has more like you know, uh unsavory behavior on social media than than Florida does. Their players have always sort of felt very comfortable going on the internet and ripping their teammates, ripping their team you know, kind of showing their lack of allegiance to the program. I'm so thankful that Georgia players don't behave on social media the way that Florida players have for years. I'm talking about predating Billy Napier, predating Dan Mullen, going back to Jim McElwain, maybe even longer than that. Florida players have just always been very, very free and open to be very selfish on social media. I'm always kind of shocked by that. Khalil Jackson, a Gators player, the latest example of that, what he did this weekend, so profane, I can't even show it to you on our screen right now because we try to keep kind of a family-oriented uh, focus around here. But believe me, he made his feelings about Florida clear and what he thought you know Florida could essentially go do with itself um, uh, You know, in the aftermath of losing the game to LSU on Saturday. I, I will show you this. Uh, since then, uh, uh, Jackson, the Florida player, has issued a public apology on all of this. <laughs> which almost kind of like like when you see the simplicity of his original statement, which we can't show you, and the complexity of this statement, it almost looks like sort of the Bart Simpson chalkboard where it's like, I will not use profane language on Twitter, like written a thousand times. It sort of kind of gives you that same vibe. But it just sort of lets you know this Florida program, it's sort of always one step away from a mass exodus, you know, total revolt and, you know, a high quit factor. Here coming into the game in a couple of weeks, the same thing might kind of be true there again. So, the point is this, by virtue of the fact that Florida's not very good, some Georgia fans might have a temptation not to care very much about the game. But if you'd done the same thing with all those Tennessee games a few years ago, then Tennessee might even be better now than they are. It was actually a really good thing that you beat them as bad as you did for as long as you did, even though in the moment maybe it didn't feel quite as emotionally satisfying as some of the other games that you we're playing in those years. Well, Florida this year is the exact same thing. This is still the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. This is still a Florida program that believes that one day it'll be better than it is now. But everything you can do to prolong that is to your benefit. Florida's in kind of a bad spot right now. Make it worse. Make it worse in Jacksonville two Saturdays from now. I believe that's exactly what Georgia's going to want to do. And I believe that Georgia fans should be ready to celebrate when it happens. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. I mentioned our first and 15 a little earlier there at dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. I know a lot of you enjoy tuning in there for that and being a part of that. Some of you, I know, kind of do the thing where you're like, you'll join us first in 15 live and then you'll go back and listen to the show later on after that maybe on even a different platform and listen however you choose to consume our product we're just thankful that you do we want to be here for you even throughout you know the off week and things like that listen it ain't dog nation daily unless you do it every day and so we take that thing seriously and so we're here for you 
today there as well. And we want to serve our great sponsors too, like our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. I genuinely love telling people about what they're capable of doing for them because let's face it, we all love our homes. You know, our homes, the kind of thing we have a lot of investment in, both emotional and financial and we don't want anything to go wrong with our homes, but there are examples that something might not quite right be what it's supposed to be. Quite be what it's supposed to be, not might not quite be right, is what I'm trying to say. You see that water creeping in when it rains, or you see cracks in the walls, the foundation, you see that stuff, and you're like, yeah, oh, this may be a sign of a more substantial issue. Well, our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia can kind of take the guesswork out of this for you. If, if, if you've got wet spots and damp areas and things like that, they can tell you if water's creeping in and how you can get that fixed. And sometimes it's not even as hard to fix as you might think. When it comes to the cracks in your walls, same kind of deal here. They can tell you all about that and explain how you can get all of that taken care of too, which as I said before, sometimes is not quite as big a deal as you might think. And that's all the reason why you want to kind of reach out to them because if they can give you good news, they want to give that to you. If they need to tell you about something that needs to be done for you, well, gosh, you better have smart people doing it. And no one has more of those than our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Got an entire team of engineers uh, working for you on your project in your home. There's nobody else in our market that can say that that level of resource dedicated to you and your foundation, your waterproofing issues. So don't hesitate. Make out uh, the phone call and make that call today. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and you can talk to them here today. We are going to talk to Connor Riley here today there as well. Some of you, this is more for our podcast radio audience. I said this for our video show before it began. Uh, Jake Fromm, not going to be with us today. Jake Fromm is signed with the Washington Commanders. And we sort of knew there was a chance that uh, Jake, who's been with us every Tuesday for the last several weeks during the season, that eventually he was going to be back on NFL roster again. And maybe our uh, weekly appearances with him might be short-lived. I think we're going to catch up with Jake again very soon, but he's actually on his way to our nation's capital right now there in D.C., getting acclimated with his new team. So we're going to let him do that and look forward to catching up with him again very soon. We're, we're thrilled, con- uh, hearty, heartfelt congratulations for Jake Fromm on getting a chance to be a part of the commander's organization here, and we'll look forward to catching up with him soon. But it is Connor Raleigh coming up in a moment. Before that, before that, I want to go around the doghouse, around the doghouse presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And Kirby Smart found himself in a very interesting position on Saturday. We talked some about this yesterday, that there was obviously a lot of attention on the Alabama-Tennessee game uh, in the just area around Sanford Stadium on Saturday. We'll have more on this in terms of the fan stuff uh, before our show is done today because I got a lot of interesting feedback from Georgia fans about this particular topic we brought up yesterday. But it seems pretty obvious that Kirby was probably watching the end of the Bama-Tennessee game before he started his post-game press conference. He was pretty late in doing so. Uh, so it led you to believe he was probably having at least an eye on you know the conclusion of that game and Tennessee getting the win against Alabama. And because that game now looms so large, you've only had two top five matchups in the history of Sanford Stadium. You've never had one of those with Georgia ranked number one. You've never had like a top three, top four matchup. And that's what this has a chance to be coming up in a couple of weeks, assuming both teams continue to win its, win, win their games between now and then. That it'd be very easy to want to look ahead to that or tough, tricky road games at Mississippi State, Kentucky. There's been a lot of chatter about those for a long time. And even kind of looking past what needs to be done during the bye week to get ready for Florida or something like that. As you might imagine, Kirby Smart, who's kind of maintained a very consistent theme on this throughout the years, told reporters on Saturday that he's not interested in looking ahead to anything that's on its way for Georgia, including that marquee showdown with Tennessee. This is what Kirby said about that 
on Saturday night. I'm worried about tomorrow, man. I'm not looking down at that run because you start looking at that run and you, 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 get, you get caught up. Like I'm, I'm looking solely at one thing. It's not Florida. It's not anybody else. It's us. And I'm going to dig, chew, claw to get every player on our roster better because one of those guys is going to be counted on to, to, to make a play in a, in, a, in a tough game. So that, that's okay. We can, we can drop that. I had maybe a little bit of an editing error on that, but you get the uh, gist of what Kirby smarts trying to say there that, um, he doesn't want to look ahead. Doesn't want to think about, doesn't want to think about Florida yet. No, certainly doesn't want to think about Tennessee. Or the other games are coming up and with all due respect to Kirby smart. We understand why he would say that, but that's not going to completely prevent us from doing the same thing for a moment here as we're around the doghouse presented by Georgia's own credit union, because there is, there is perhaps a little bit of a surprise in store for some of you when you do look ahead at some of these future games because the narrative as of late has been and I'm not making fun of Georgia fans who feel this way I'm just kind of talking about what we've all kind of noticed oh my gosh Tennessee is so good oh my gosh Georgia's in for doomsday scenario and the Vols come to call or on the road at Mississippi State or at Kentucky there is, at least in the minds of some, plenty of reason to be afraid about what is on its way for Georgia in future games. I've even heard some Georgia fans say that Florida is now a more dangerous opponent because Georgia is committing the sin of looking past Florida towards Tennessee, something admittedly we said a moment ago that we don't want Georgia to do. So just as a way of maybe kind of adding additional context to the current discussion about Georgia and maybe furthering the understanding of exactly what Georgia is right now, which the team we said yesterday that should be number one in the country is number one and ranked number one with good reason. I went to the website VegasInsider.com this morning, and one of the things that they chronicle are future point spreads. Some sports books will give you what they call look-ahead lines, lines on games that won't be played for uh, uh, another couple of weeks. And typically speaking, if you wanted to bet these lines, these look-ahead lines, they're relatively low limit until the week of the game. And during the week of the game, they'll take larger bets on the line. So, you know, these lines aren't quite as, like, you know, aggressively handicapped as the stuff in week because they're just not taking big bets on them. They're only taking small wagers. But nonetheless, it gives us a little bit of a preview about how you know, games are viewed and whether you bet games or not, it just kind of becomes a nice perspective on the expectation for your team and some of its upcoming games. So let me show this to you on the screen here for a moment. Looking ahead to the Florida game, the Tennessee game, road games, Mississippi State and Kentucky, you might be a little bit surprised by what you see. Now, not necessarily surprised that Georgia's a big favorite against Florida. 15 and a half at uh, DraftKings. They're actually 17 in that game. Uh, at, at Caesars, but I went with the 15 and a half uh, that, that DraftKings had. But how about this? For all the chatter about the Georgia-Tennessee game coming up in a couple of weeks and all the discussion that I participated in about being the biggest home game in Georgia football history and all of the, you know, all the possibilities that surround that and the likelihood that, oh my gosh, Georgia saw something in Tennessee that ought to scare it to death. According to, uh, I believe this is FanDuel that had this, it's one of the major sports books. Georgia is a 10.5-point favorite right now against Tennessee. So for all the chatter and all the talk and all the whatever, Georgia's a double-digit favorite at home against Tennessee coming up in three weeks' time. Now, that doesn't guarantee who wins the game, but it's an example that some of the recent chatter is probably a little overblown. Georgia's an 11-point favorite at Mississippi State the week after that and a 16-point favorite the week after that at Kentucky. So all of these games are serious, and they're certainly a different level of competition than Georgia has been playing. 
But it's important to know that the folks who put their money where their mouth is, they stand to lose a lot of money, in other words, if they are wrong, still see George as a double-digit favor in every game that's coming up over the course of the next few weeks, including against the suddenly mighty Vols. They're a 10.5-point underdog here in Athens in a couple of weeks. Now, what should you do with that? Obviously, as I said before, that is not a guarantee that Georgia wins all these games, and I'm certainly not telling you you should rush out and bet any of these numbers, you should make your own decision about that and use your own research to decide if that's a, uh, a good decision for you or not. But it's simply a reminder of this. We said yesterday, if I had a vote for the number one team in the country, the pick is Georgia. And while Tennessee may be a more exciting team and they may play a more exciting game against Alabama, Georgia's greatness oftentimes is demonstrated by how unexciting its games are. The fact that it does beat a conference foe 55 nothing, The fact that it did beat a top 10 team to begin the year 49-3. The fact that it is in both top 10 offensive scoring points per game, top 10 defensive points allowed per game. The fact that it does have a better signature win right now than I would say Ohio State probably does. Buckeye is probably the team that comes the closest to matching what UGA has done statistically. That, that George may be a little bit quiet right now, but that quiet, demeanor that Georgia's putting forth is actually sort of a representation of its strength that Georgia is number one for a reason right now it may not be quite as sexy as Tennessee who had to score 50 points to to beat Alabama and had a big lead and lost it and came from behind and and got the win I don't mind telling you I I thought the Tennessee Alabama game was incredibly entertaining but guess what so is reality TV to some people and oftentimes what's entertaining about reality TV is sort of the mess that's being made (laughs) some of the lives on the show and I'm not quite so sure the Alabama Tennessee game wasn't a little bit like that too where some of what made that game so entertaining was how messy both those teams kind of were and hopefully in big spots Georgia just doesn't play quite as sloppy quite as messy hopefully Georgia doesn't have the 17 penalties that uh, Alabama had and certainly plays better pass defense than Tennessee played that that sometimes what makes Tennessee entertaining actually is a sign of its deficiency not necessarily a sign of its strength so that's just a data point to consider I'm not ready yet to tell you how I think the Georgia-Tennessee game plays out. I'm not. Uh, We're going to reserve right to do that, and I don't mind telling you that Tennessee has done a lot to earn my respect here over the course of the last couple of weeks. But people who have no emotional stake in this whatsoever, people who are kind of outside the bubble of dog nation, sort of above the fray, 10,000 feet looking down, objectively as they know how to be, they don't expect the game to be close. They still expect Georgia to win. And they feel the same way about the Florida game before that, the Mississippi State and the Kentucky game after that. All I'm saying here is maybe we should consider at least the possibility that those experts might be right. That is Around the Doghouse, and it is presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. Now, who knows who's right about picking games and things like that, but this is what I do know is right. That when you open up one of those Visa Signature and Platinum cards from our friends at Georgia's own credit union, you have a great opportunity to benefit yourself with all kinds of really cool things here right now. Because let's face it, the fall time of year is just really busy. It seems like there's just a lot going on, whether it be traveling to games or you start thinking about holiday stuff or just all the, you know, my son's baseball season kind of coming to an end. You sort of have those end-of-year parties. It seems like there's just sort of a lot of stuff that goes on this time of year, which means that credit card's coming out a bunch, and you're swiping it for this, you're swiping it for that. Why not get something when you do that? Well, that's what the Visa Signature and Platinum card from uh, our friends at Georgia's own credit union gets gives you a chance to uh, enjoy there. Uh, because when you use it, 
you're going to get uh, all kinds of flex rewards that can be used for all kinds of stuff. Gift cards, cash back, travel, merchandise, so much more. Plus, just for opening up one of these accounts for a new Platinum or Signature card, you may have a chance to earn up to $150. Now, there are some restrictions that apply on this, so uh, make sure you check out the website, georgesown.org, for more details. That's georgesown.org. We love the Visa Signature and Platinum cards from our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. They've been with us for a long time here around the doghouse, and we're very, very happy to tell you about that today because it is a great asset to have in your wallet or your purse as you're heading towards this holiday time of the year. So make sure you check that out today from our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. All right, before we're done, I got very interesting feedback on both sides of an issue related to yesterday's show. So we'll be fair and balanced and kind of present both sides here before we're done with the program today. I think this is kind of fun. And uh, we'll do that here in a bit. But before that, what we learned about Georgia on Saturday, making it look easy against Vanderbilt. How about some of these big games that are looming? Uh, are the gambling experts right? Is this still easy stretch for Georgia, even though uh, maybe some of the recent chatter would suggest otherwise? And maybe the most important question of all, can Georgia get some of these injured players back before it starts playing some of these games? Let's do all of that right now. It's a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Connor is not playing for the Washington Commanders, so he's uh, available to join us here on the show today, which we're very happy about. And uh, Connor, I'm happy to have you with us. Uh, before you joined us, I shared some of the uh, data from Vegas Insider looking at FanDuel and DraftKings and uh, Caesars, which are basically the books that have some look ahead lines out there right now. Georgia is, in a, is a double-digit favorite at least in its next four games, including 10.5 points right now against Tennessee. What do you make of the fact that the recent chatter on the part of some fans and some media would say, oh, my gosh, Georgia's in real trouble here, and yet the more objective 10,000-foot view of this still expects Georgia to be somewhat comfortable in victory in games that are clearly a step up in competition what they have been playing. What's your takeaway on that? To the larger view of what this Georgia program is, and I point out as well, you know, Alabama was still a touchdown favorite, and in some books, as that game got closer and it became, I think, more evident that Bryce Young was going to be able to play, was a 10-point road favorite against Tennessee, and, and that's not so much, you know, an indication of what it meant about that game on that individual day. It's just where those two programs sort of are and the depth and the talent level, and I think you even saw that bear out in the course of that game where, yes, Tennessee gets out to a 28-10 to 10 lead, but they wore, in my opinion, still wore down over the course of that game. And while, you know, yes, Alabama, I still think probably should have found a way to win that game, I do think it speaks a lot to Tennessee that they were able to fight for a four-quarter game and win it. But I don't know if playing one of those again in a few weeks afterwards on the road against Georgia, especially the week after you play a physical Kentucky team as well, I don't know how well that potentially sets you up for success. When Tennessee, let's let's remember here, this is still a program dealing with sanctions coming out of the end of the Jeremy Pruitt pro era. This is a program that had, you know, I believe over 30 players transfer out via the transfer portal after Pruitt had been fired there with cause. And so it is not a program that is as deep as Georgia is. And as I think we get deeper into the season, and, you know, obviously injuries, snap counts, players were down I, I think you're going to potentially see that advantage that Georgia has in terms of just raw depth play out when eventually they do play teams like Mississippi State 
Kentucky, and obviously Tennessee on November 5th. So I really feel like for Georgia, and I, I do have some confidence in Georgia right now, I really feel like for Georgia, they are starting to resemble what I loved most about last year's team, which was the complimentary brand of football. You know, Georgia's top 10 right now, and you know, forget the advanced stuff. Just look at like points scored, points allowed. Georgia's, I think, 10th in scoring, second in points allowed here right now. Ohio State's kind of in that category too, but as you might imagine, Tennessee's like second in points scored, but like 50th in, 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 in points allowed here, here at the moment. That, that Georgia is just once again kind of a complimentary football team. Georgia just kind of once again a team that is playing sort of the best brand of offense plus defense in the entire country. And, you know, there's still some elements of the defense that 2021 had that I don't quite know that 2022 has. Getting after quarterbacks, the, 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 the best example of that. But in terms of being able to do it both ways, this Georgia team is sort of starting to look like that team again to me. And that's one of the reasons why. I think you're okay as a Georgia fan to say, hey, I do feel pretty good about my team going into the games that we always knew were going to matter most. We could have said this in June or May or January, whenever, that Florida on was going to get really interesting for Georgia. And, Connor, I think they're about as ready for it as I think they probably could be. Yeah, you know, I know we don't necessarily want to talk about that Auburn game, but I I feel like in that game they sort of reestablished the identity that they had last year where – we just have so much talent. We don't care who you are. We don't care what you have on your sideline. We're just going to wear you down over the course of the game. And I think that Auburn result, you saw how they played against an unbeaten Ole Miss team, who granted I think are still frauds, but it's a imp- more impressive win after the fact. And so when you add that in there, I think this is a team that is sort of figuring out who it is. You know, I asked Kirby Smart last week, what do you think the identity of this team is? And he pretty quickly shot back grit and toughness. And so with last year, you know, being elite, just being better than everyone. That was the sort of motto for this team. This year's 2022 team, I think, relies a lot more on just, hey, we're a tough team. We've been through some things. We've seen some things last year. You know, losing Alabama in the SEC championship game and then responding by playing, I think, to that point, their best game of the year and probably the most complete performance against Michigan in the Orange Bowl. And then winning a four-quarter war against Alabama where in the fourth quarter, as Nick Saban said, Georgia just kicked Alabama's butt. So having that and having that woven into your team DNA as you get ready to face four really strong teams who each do things well, I think, I think that sets you up to really show just how tough and strong and mentally prepared this team is going to be over a pretty tough four-game stretch where as it stands right now, the last three teams on that are ranked and the first one on the front end is the Florida team, which, I mean, you and I have been down to Jacksonville enough to know Weird things can and have sure. happened down there before. I want to ask you about Florida. I promise I do. But let me just say one more thing about this Tennessee game before we get there. Why do you think it is that some people are slow to acknowledge the fact this is the biggest home game in Sanford Stadium history? Because I just think measurably it is. You've only had two top five. We've been talking about this for weeks, by the way, too. This is something that we – I didn't think Tennessee was going to beat Alabama, but we had been saying for like two weeks, if they did, buckle your seatbelt for – what's going to probably end up being the biggest game of all time. You've only got two top five matchups in the history of the stadium. None of those have occurred with Georgia ranked number one. This is probably even like a top three, top four matchup, something that's never happened before in the history of the stadium. I think adjusted for inflation, these are probably the most expensive tickets on the secondary market uh, the stadium's ever seen there as well. And frankly, you know, we're a long way away from the crescendo of all of this hype. You know, I realize that sometimes there's recency bias, Connor, but there's also kind of an anti-recency bias, too, where you're kind of slow to acknowledge the fact that this really is probably bigger than anything that's ever happened before. What do you think? 
I think the reason they're not saying this is a big game is because they know that I will not be in attendance for this game because I have to be at a family wedding uh, <laughs> that Saturday that was planned months ago by uh, my relatives from Connecticut. And so I think they're just, you know, respective of the fact that one of the big J's on this Georgia beat will not be in attendance for the game. No, I mean, this is absolutely going to be the biggest home game in Sanford Stadium history. That is what I told my mom after Tennessee won. That is why I sort of had a thousand-yard stare in the press box after that game wrapped up, being like, I'm going to miss the biggest game in certainly in my lifetime in, in Sanford Stadium, and you know the history much better. And after talking about it with you and Jeff Sintel, on Sunday afternoon, pretty clearly the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history. Uh, you know, certainly there were two top five matchups in 1942, one of which was played at Grant Field uh, against Alabama, which I'm not even going to wonder how that happened. Uh, it, it's going to be a game where I, I think, you know, obviously Kirby's going to say what he's going to say. The players are going to say what they're going to say. But I think this is a moment where if you're Georgia, you embrace this moment. You say this is the biggest game of the season. You know, yes, Michigan and Ohio State will be – a similarly big game in a few weeks, but to this point, this is the biggest game of the season. We are hosting this, and we are going to make this an absolute event. It is going to be a massive recruiting weekend for Georgia. I have no doubts about that. And if they go out there and they show and they beat a Tennessee team that I think they can be, and certainly if they cover the spread because that is what great teams do, I think that makes an even bigger statement than what we have seen so far from this Georgia team this season, considering what they did against Oregon, what they did at the end of last season in beating Alabama. And if you go in and you have an event like this and you play this well, I think it's going to say a lot about what this program looks like right now in this moment and going forward within the national landscape of college football. Because you're having these big games, and Georgia's done this before to an extent, obviously not with this sort of a magnitude. But if you have these big games and you do what, say, Alabama wasn't and beat Tennessee and you continue to be unbeaten in the class of the SEC – I think that's going to say a lot more about what this program is under Kirby Smart and where things are going. So I think the important question to come out of all this is you mentioned having family in Connecticut that scheduled a wedding the weekend of Georgia, Tennessee. Does that concern you for the future of Ryan Puglisi trying to succeed in the SEC, the fact that he plays his high school ball in a state that maybe doesn't recognize the importance of the Georgia-Tennessee game? <laughs> well, you know, actually, Puglisi's from Massachusetts. Fair and, enough. And, Fair you enough. Know, Massachusetts is a bigger football state than Connecticut at this point. And to be clear, I'm a, you know, love the state of Connecticut. I've spent plenty of sure. time there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, think the streets of, the, the streets of Greenwich. I mean, I, I mean, how often? Oh, it... <laughs> More like the mean streets of New London. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think this is a, a, a big win for Georgia. Obviously, you know, he gets the big bump in recruiting ranking yesterday that I think a lot of people had seen coming. You had heard people talking about this for a while. The fact that Georgia and Alabama had pretty seriously offered him, uh, this summer, and we're really, you know, pursuing him with some vigor. I think speaks a lot more to where he was as a quarterback than sure. the rankings bump that he had just gotten there. Uh, you know, Georgia had a lot of options out there at the quarterback position. Julian Sand, we know, Jaden Davis uh, out of the Charlotte area, and it's telling to me at least that Georgia went and, and said, "Puglisi, you are our guy." Yep. And you look at and, and you know, look, we'll talk about rankings and we'll blue the face and upside of these guys, but. I wrote a story this morning on Carson Beck, and you consider Seth Bennett. Obviously, we know his story and how much he's improved from when he first got here under Todd Munkin. We know, I think on Saturday, I saw for really in a clear view the improvements that Carson Beck has made in this offense and how he is poised, I think, starting in 2023. And I want to make that crystal clear here. Starting in 2023 and not a moment before then, that Carson Beck is really poised to have success at Georgia. 
And, and so when you look at the improvements that those guys have made and what Todd Munkin has been able to get out of them, you know, what raw tools for Iglesias have, have been impressive based on what I have seen and read and heard from Jeff Sattel. So when you add all that together, so long as Todd Munkin is the offensive coordinator here at Georgia, I think you have to completely trust what he evaluates in quarterbacks and sees and how he is going to go about getting the most out of those quarterbacks. You've seen that with Stetson Bennett. I think you're starting to see that with Carson Beck. We'll see if Todd Munkin is ultimately still here when Ryan Puglisi, A, even gets to Georgia, and B, it potentially comes time for him to be the starting quarterback for Georgia. But with what we've seen from Todd Munkin, so long as he is here, I think you have to like what you have at this quarterback because we've seen that in Stetson Bennett. We're starting to see that in Carson Beck. And I think Ryan Puglisi has a high ceiling with his raw talents. All right, so let's say I was watching the Tennessee-Alabama game on Saturday. A lot of Georgia fans probably were spending more time doing that than watching their own game. And all of a sudden, you look at 55 nothing. you're like, hey, what happened here? Um, give me your most, I guess, important takeaways. If you're giving me a book report here, if you're giving me kind of a short summary on what mattered in 55 nothing against Vanderbilt, what would be your big takeaways on that game? Uh I'll go with Stetson Bennett starting quickly. In you know, eighteen of twenty in the first half, two touchdowns. Uh, I, I think you know when he gets into a rhythm early, this team is going to be nearly impossible to beat. And so, I think you have to try and hit him early. You have to try and hit him fast. And he was able to figure things out in the second half of that Auburn game. I I'd argue he played very well in the fourth quarter against Missouri. There, he's shown that he can figure things out over the course of a game, but. If you allow this Georgia offense to start fast, it, 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 the game will be over incredibly quickly. You have to find a way to get stops early in the game. And so as Georgia enters a tough stretch against Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky, those are the sort of things that I'm looking for. You know, if Georgia's able to start fast quickly, they've shown that with Munkin and what he's able to do in terms of adjustments, this team is going to be able to make the right play calls and, and things like that going forward. And so with Georgia starting fast, if if that's the case when they play Tennessee on November 5th, if that's the case when they play Florida on October 29th, those games are going to be over quickly because, as you touched on earlier with the way the complementary way this team plays, if you fall behind and become a one-dimensional passing offense, I think that's a really tough road to hoe in terms of getting back into a game against the Georgia team. That For all you know, the complaints that we had coming in the Kent State game, the Missouri game, I think they look very impressive. No, I think you're right. Uh, the most important question relating to injuries, we'll hear from Kirby Smart tonight. I want to preview some of that with you coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, let's remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley, and we're heading towards Halloween. Kroger's got you covered on all of that. Kroger.com slash Halloween website you can go to, or just go to the store. Just, like, go to the store. Get 20% off the candy, the decor, all the stuff you need to make Halloween great. Trust me, we've been talking about Halloween in my house for eight weeks, so... It can't get here soon enough for uh, my kids who've changed their costumes now three times. And, you know, obviously all the candy stuff and decorations, a big part of all this now. So get loaded up for all of that. Kroger.com slash Halloween or stop by and shop in store to get ready for the big day. Seriously, I love the the Kroger Halloween setup right there in the center of the store. It's like all kinds of really cool stuff. It's just kind of fun to go like browse around and look at it all. But it's also fun to load up that shopping cart and get that today. So make sure you check that out. All right. So, Connor, um, I mean, the injury story for George is not an insignificant one in that, you know, I think there's still some pretty big questions about like when we might start seeing some movement from Jalen Carter back towards being able to to play again. Obviously, A.D. Mitchell's another one of those. Try to give it a go against Auburn. That seemed like a 
I mean, he just seemed like he wasn't that close to being a you know a, a big competitor uh, in that situation right there. Still seemed pretty banged up. You had like Xavier Trust, Lad McConkey in, into that situation after Saturday. I know Smile Mondin uh, was a big topic in the postgame press conference. Truth is, I don't know that I really expected him to play uh, against uh, Vanderbilt necessarily. The point here is I'm guessing that when Kirby talks tonight, injury is going to be a big part of what he's asked. Kirby will say nothing about any of them, of course, so I'm going to ask you instead. How healthy is Georgia going to be two Saturdays from now when uh, the cocktail party takes place? I think defensively they're going to be fine. I would expect Jalen Carter to be out there. That is what I've continued to hear in terms of his health and his knee. Okay. I would think Schmel Munden is going to be out there as well. I think you're going to have that front seven out there, you know, as close to full strength as you can be going against what is going to be a, a potent Florida rushing offense. So I'll be interested in seeing how they hold up there. I'm curious now about A.D. Mitchell because, you know, this was an injury that happened all the way back in week two. We had sort of thought, you know, the Auburn game would be the game that would be targeted at the latest that he would be back from. Granted, he did play in that game, but I think it's pretty clear and safe to say that he took a step backwards there. And while I was impressed once again with what I saw as Dominic Playlock and think he's going to continue to be a bigger player in this offense, and I think coming out of the bye week, a guy that really takes a step forward, I think this Georgia team is going to need Mitchell, Ladd McConkey, who is who is fine and probably would have gone back into the game if it was not a five-touchdown blowout at that point on Saturday. I think you're going to need, uh, and obviously Mitchell out there, because I think more than McConkey, more than Arian Smith, more than Dominic Blaylock, uh, Mitchell combines the ability to win contested catches all over the field, but also separate a little bit downfield in the vertical passing game, and that's something Georgia hasn't really had this season, and I think they missed that against Missouri, and that's a big reason why that game was as close as it was there. And so, while yes, having Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, who I thought was outstanding on Saturday, is going to help this passing offense, they really need a guy on the outside that they feel comfortable can win balls downfield consistently. And that's what Mitchell is for this offense. And so, if he's still not 100% coming out of this off weekend, maybe we'll find out more, maybe we won't. Uh, I think that's something that is potentially concerning for this Georgia team. Connor, good stuff. Thank you for being here for our Kroger Fresh Take. As I mentioned, Kirby tonight, uh, kind of our lone chance to hear from him here this week, I guess. And so very curious to hear what he has to say. And obviously it sets the stage for the cocktail party next Saturday. So we appreciate that. We'll read that from you there at dognation.com and look forward to talking to you again on the show very soon as well. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So here's the question that kind of leads to me based on what Connor was saying there. And I'm curious your opinion of this. Do you think that Georgia has an irreplaceable player this year? I would say that offensively the best player on the team is Brock Bowers. You've heard me say that before. You know, but Bowers didn't have a huge day on Saturday. And, you know, statistically he's not quite having the same year that he had a, a year ago. He's probably something close to an irreplaceable play in your in your biggest games, but He's kind of been a part of an ensemble cast here thus far this season. I think that Georgia misses A.D. Mitchell, and the biggest games that Georgia plays, I'd really want Georgia to have Mitchell, but I don't know that he quite rises to the level of irreplaceable. I mean, gosh, if Georgia could win a national championship last year without George Pickens, with no disrespect, you know, you would like to think they could do the same thing without A.D. Mitchell this year. He's very, very important, but I don't know that he would rise to the level of being irreplaceable, which sort of leads you with Jalen Carter. Is Carter irreplaceable for Georgia? I would certainly think he might be in a way that no player was last year. Georgia had the Buckus Award winner in uh, N'Kobe Dean. They had Jordan Davis, who we touted for the Heisman. They had the number one overall pick in Trayvon Walker. 
And if they really, really had to, I think they could have survived with almost any of those. Now, Davis was probably the toughest one to, to play without because he was just such a huge part of your rush defense, but you still would have had Devontae Wyatt. It's not like you'd have just been, you know, you know, naked out there in the middle of the field. You'd have still had Wyatt there, and you would have also had Jalen Carter too, of course. So, so this is maybe the one thing right now that makes Georgia a little bit different than it was a year ago when Connor said that he thought that uh, Carter was trending in the right direction for Florida. That, my ears kind of perk up for that. I, I, I think that Carter in the games that are really, really crucial along the way is probably more of an irreplaceable type guy than anything you had in 2021 just because the nature of this team it's lack of experience it's it's lack of like that sort of top end first round pick type depth like last year's team did have so it may be the most important topic as you head towards Florida as you head towards everything else after that how healthy is Jalen Carter going to be able to get clearly Georgia was capable of dominating on Saturday without him but against better teams having him Boy, that's really, really important. So that's an interesting uh, update there from Connor and an interesting story to continue to follow here over the course of the next few weeks. So last night, as I start transitioning here to a cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, I was doing one of the things I always really like to do. I've got a cruise coming up at the conclusion of the season. And so they give you a chance to kind of start signing in a little bit early and you can start making your choices about things about, hey, you know, when do you want to get on the ship? When do you want to have your dinner? Uh, you know, kind of booking some shore excursion type stuff. And that's one of the things you got to understand is when you go on a Royal Caribbean cruise, like obviously a lot of the fun is what's happening on the ship, but then another part of the fun is what you do once you get to these various ports. And there's Perfect Day Coco Cay. You've heard me talk about that. I signed up last night for the Thrill Water Park. So like Perfect Day Coco Cay kind of works like like this. There's a thrill side, there's a chill side. And the chill side is like, th- that's typically what I usually do, right? It's like, it's like lounge chair. It's this huge, largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas and you just kind of just sort of float around and do nothing I'm really really good on vacation at just doing nothing I'm very good at that but you know we kind of sometimes you get a little bit more of an adventurous spirit so like hey let's go to that thrill water park let's take advantage of uh some of that and so kind of got signed up for that last night and that's kind of fun to think about tallest water slide in North America maybe I'll ride it maybe I won't I don't quite know that yet but it's just really fun to start making those plans because honestly half the fun of by the way if you're watching a video that's that water slide I was just telling you about Half the fun for something like this is the anticipation of it all. And I, I love that. And many of you are already starting to anticipate our second ever Dog Nation cruise coming up this April, which I'm very excited about. I want you to be a part of. So if you're on the fence, if you heard me talking about it, now is the time to get going on this. Take advantage of the $100 onboard credit offer from our friends at Royal Caribbean. Uh, go to the website, royaldogs.com. That is royaldogs.com. Special website, specially constructed by Jessica Slater, who is a travel agent, specially selected for us by our friends at Royal Caribbean. Because if we're taking a cruise, it's on Royal Caribbean, and we want a great travel agent to help you and make sure you're well taken care of. And that's exactly what Jessica's all about, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147, and you can enjoy uh, all of the benefits that come from having a great agent book this great Royal Caribbean cruise for you. Uh, I think you'll be really glad that you did. It's going to be a great time, and I can't wait to have you on board for all of that. So, cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and the aftermath kind of continues of this Tennessee-Alabama game there on Saturday. Have, have you ever gone to like an Italian restaurant, and you, know, you get your meal, and you have something that you take home with you? And we'll, we'll show you this uh, uh, here in a moment. But have you ever kind of done this thing where like you go to the Italian restaurant, and you have the, the, the meal, and you know how like you take the leftovers home, and it's like better the second day than it is the first day? 
some of the aftermath of this Tennessee-Alabama game is sort of an example of that because like some of what you've seen here thus far is the disappointment of Alabama fans, the celebration of Tennessee fans. You kind of see some of that. But then you kind of linger to sort of the next phase of all of this, and you've probably seen some of this online. It becomes the personal testimonies of who behaved the worst in the stadium. Oh, I've never seen Alabama fans behave so distastefully. Or Tennessee fans, you could tell they hadn't won anything in a long time. I had a bottle thrown at me, which we don't obviously condone here. But um, but just all the stories of all the bad behavior amongst fans, and it all kind of comes in this sort of like first-person confessional type deal, and then you got a whole bunch of people go online and say that's fake. That didn't really happen. It's like that aftermath of the aftermath, which I think is really fun. And you kind of got some of that going on in Alabama and Tennessee uh, right now there as well. And then our producer, Michael Carvel, just showed this in the screen. I want to show this to you again here. Here is the thing I kind of don't really understand. So a lot of you saw after the game, the Tennessee fans rushed the field. They tore down the goalposts, which is kind of a tradition. A lot of stadiums now have the thing where the goalposts collapse. You can't tear them down anymore. Uh, but clearly the Tennessee goalpost could be torn down, which if you've ever been on a field when a goalpost comes down, it does not go down like you think it would. Like you think the thing's made of like fiberglass or something, it just sort of cracks. It, it is different than that. I mean, it, it sounds like a tree falling. It takes a lot of force to break a goalpost. So it's always a little bit like awe-inspiring when one of these things finally comes down because it just sort of breaks different than you think it would. But the point is, it takes a lot of work to break a goalpost. It takes a lot of work to get this thing down and then to get it out of the stadium once you did. And then lo and behold, after the Tennessee folks did all this, broke the goalpost, tore the thing apart, marched it out of the stadium. Can we show this again? They went and just dumped the thing in the river. Like, why would you do that? Like, can you imagine how mad I would be if I participated in the dismantling of this goalpost? And then you start passing it down. Is it Cumberland Boulevard? Is that the big street in uh, Knoxville? You start passing this thing all the way down to Cumberland Boulevard, and finally it gets to the end of the line, and some Yahoo just throws it in the river? Like, give it to me if you don't want it. Now, listen, I got no use for it. I'm a Georgia fan. But I'm saying, theoretically, in this story, if I was you know, one of the narrative wells who would participate in behavior like this from Knoxville, if I'm going to go to all the trouble of vandalizing the stadium, I saw this one woman was like tearing up the checkerboard inside. Um, if I'm going to go to the trouble of vandalizing the stadium, I'm at least taking home a souvenir. Now, listen, it's kind of hard to chop up this goalpost. As I said before, they're they're sturdier than you think they are. But um, but who's just dumping this into the river? And second of all, isn't there already enough trash in the Tennessee River as there is? Like, do we need more pollution and trash in the Tennessee River? I'll never understand this part of the story at all of like, Hey, it's the great celebration. Goalposts getting passed around, passed around, passed around. And then finally, you know, uh, some dude in overalls just throws it into the river. Like, like I don't get that part of it at all. Uh, by the way, speaking of the state of Tennessee, I, I saw this. So Nashville has approved a new stadium. And this is actually going to be, I think, a thing for all the SEC folks to, uh, to pay close attention to. It's going to be like an, a retractable roof, kind of enclosed stadium. So I think in future years... I think you want to start thinking about Nashville as a destination for certainly like college football playoff and things like that. Right now, they don't really play in that at that level because their stadium is outdoors. So in future years, when they start sort of build the new stadium, it's going to be state-of-the-art. It's like a $2 billion stadium. It's going to be retractable roof, very similar, I'm guessing, to what uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium is here in Atlanta. 
I think you start thinking about Nashville as a destination for some of these big postseason games. Maybe even eventually a site for an SEC championship game there as well. Atlanta's obviously had a stranglehold in this game for a long time. You know, in recent years, they've kind of tried to make Nashville for basketball what Atlanta has been for football, you know, playing uh, the basketball tournament more often than not in Nashville. But, you know, just given its location, given the fact that, I mean, people love traveling to Nashville. How many Georgians love going up there? How many, obviously, bachelorette parties and 9 million each and every weekend, it would seem. But people love to be in Nashville for these weekends. And I would say in future years, this new stadium in Nashville certainly going to be the kind of place that Georgia could conceivably play some playoff games in in future years, which most dog fans would probably love. Easy, easy drive, fun weekend. Uh, but also maybe a competitor in future years for the SEC championship game there too if the SEC ever decides they want to kind of expand that out a little bit. So that's worth considering. Let me also mention this here very quick. Uh, other games around the SEC, we kind of focused only on one game yesterday from outside uh, the state of Georgia. You saw where Mississippi State went on the road to Kentucky and lost. Just kind of goes to show you, it's very hard to maintain the momentum during a season. We've really praised Mississippi State for, for being very good. But, you know, they did lose to Kentucky on Saturday. They got Alabama coming up here th- this Saturday. And at one point in time, you thought, oh, man, Georgia-Mississippi State may feel really big when the game is played. Last week, Mississippi State was ranked 16th. They're still in the poll right now, but they're in danger of falling out if they lose to Alabama on Saturday. And right now with Alabama, nothing's a given, I don't guess. But uh, Mississippi State, which was about a touchdown favorite initially on the road, line kind of shrunk a little bit because it became more obvious that Will Levis was going to play and ultimately uh, State was not able to get that win there on the road. So SECE strikes a little bit of a blow there. And in a game that we knew was going to have you know big ramifications for both teams uh, and the loser was going to really put themselves in kind of a tough spot, Florida lost to LSU. You know who played better on Saturday it was Jaden Daniels. And I have not given Daniels a lot of credit. I don't think he's a very good quarterback. But he certainly played much better against Florida than he has kind of all season long. And there was this video that LSU put out of kind of um, – Brian Kelly kind of trying to like prepare the team for what was going to experience. They were kind of making a big deal of that. You know that Tom Petty song that Florida plays before the start of the fourth quarter? They're kind of making a big deal about that, how they all wanted to be singing along with that song to begin the fourth quarter because that's how confident that Kelly said he wanted LSU to be. They're going to win the game. And Florida made, a, I should say LSU made a video of its players kind of just doing that very thing. And so for Kelly, who has not really felt like himself thus far at LSU, and LSU has not really felt like the team that's kind of you know in keeping with what LSU teams have typically been. Maybe a step taken towards that going on the road and kind of winning as a small underdog there at Florida. Maybe an example of that. One of the more interesting results from Saturday that hasn't gotten a lot of attention yet, but we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right, so here on the program we're here for a moment, I want to do something, and. I want to then share the, the the feedback that I got related to this. So yesterday, my laptop wasn't working, and so I wasn't able to play a lot of the audio that I wanted to play for you on the show. But one thing I did mention, although I couldn't play the evidence for yesterday, was the reaction in the UGA bookstore. And some Tennessee fans have even talked about this a little bit. But the reaction in the UGA bookstore to Tennessee beating Alabama. Now, what I'm about to play for you is audio only. There really is no video to see because you can't see the fans. Like, you can see Terrence and me standing there talking. The fans are kind of off camera. But I want you to listen to, as Terrence and I are doing the show, Tennessee's lining up for the game-winning field goal and the way in which the entire building, this was several hundred people would seem in this building watching this game, the entire building erupts when Tennessee wins this game. And then I want to share some of the reaction to you 
that I got on that. This is an audio clip from our post-game show on Saturday. Take a listen to this. That's a still frame image, so you won't see the reaction when this kick goes up. But it is going to be good. And with no time on the clock, Tennessee has knocked off the Alabama Crimson Tide. And the party in Knoxville is going to be unlike anything that program has experienced in a long, long time. And these Georgia fans, their allegiance is pretty clear here. They remember Alabama. They remember Alabama as a as a nemesis and a rival in the national championship game. And they're happy to see them lose this one here today, even if it means a, a huge matchup with Tennessee coming up in a couple of weeks. The choice was clear for these Georgia fans, at least in this building. They were cheering loud for the Vols there a moment ago. So you're an example of that. That was from Saturday Night, our Dog Nation postgame show. And by the way, you're always encouraged to go back and rewatch the postgame show. If you missed it, you can find it on the Dog Nation YouTube page. Probably the easiest place to find that. And the cheers, unmistakable. Everybody on the side of Tennessee there in that spot. And what somebody kind of pointed out to me uh, at the time, who was with us at the UGA Bookstore, is it was mostly young fans cheering for, uh, you know, Tennessee there. For a lot of young fans, their only experience with Alabama is, like 2017 or 2012, and like that's the sum total of their disappointment as a UGA fan, those couple of games against Alabama in the Nick Saban era, and so therefore they still have just a, a huge appetite to see Alabama lose. And what I said is, hey, maybe some of us who got a little bit of age on us, we're going to have to remind people about how much backstory Georgia has with Tennessee throughout the years. And if you remember, like, say, the 98 game or, you know, a bunch of examples where, you know, Tennessee fans have sort of behaved like Tennessee fans – when when Georgia's kind of gotten together with them over the course of the next few weeks, there might need to be some sort of educating that needs to kind of go on when it comes to some of this kind of stuff. So I got some very interesting fan reaction on both sides of this issue. And I kind of want to share both of these here for a moment, or at least a couple of things that kind of are representative of what I sort of got on both sides. Let me show this to you on the screen here for a moment. Someone who kind of agrees with me, but also someone who maybe uh, doesn't. Do we have this? Can we show this? Yeah. So Buster writes in about what I just said about, hey, reminding folks about you know Tennessee being a longtime rival and nemesis of UGA. Buster says, to me, preach, brother. I was rooting for Alabama. I remember the old days all too well. I think the youngsters will get a strong dose of orange annoyance over the course of the next few weeks, which I think is well said by Buster. However, on the other side of that, uh, Seb Judah writes in to say uh, as to why you know maybe it was fun that Tennessee won the game. Alabama fans are losing their minds in the Paul Feinbaum show today. They're fighting with each other. They want to fire Saban. He shows you the laughing emoji and says it's classic. So I have to say here, not to play both sides of the issue, but I do sort of get both sides of this. I think, like, logistically speaking, practically speaking, Tennessee lost probably benefited Georgia more on Saturday. And long-range, long-time Georgia fans have a long memory of when Tennessee losing would have been viewed as a very good thing. But in the short term, I mean, let's just be, be real here for a moment. We haven't seen Alabama lose very much. And there are a lot of younger Georgia fans who are going to say, I'm not even close to being tired of it yet. I love the idea, as uh, as uh, Seb said, I love the idea of watching Bama fans fighting with themselves on the Fine Bomb show, calling uh, for fi- for uh, Saban's job. In fact, uh, I I went back and listened to some of that 
Flying Bomb show from yesterday, and it was pretty entertaining. Uh, it was pretty funny to hear these Alabama fans blaming Saban for the defensive miscues and 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 kind of pointing fingers at him in a way that you've never really seen before. That is kind of entertaining. So, listen, ultimately sports is kind of entertainment, and it's all about having fun. And even though maybe Tennessee sort of stands in Georgia's way right now, I do get why some Georgia fans do like the uh, the meltdown that's taking place in Tuscaloosa right now. I, I do get where that's coming from. So interesting to see the reaction on both sides there from Georgia fans on all of that. By the way, before we sign off today, let me also give a quick shout out to my friends at the Durham Law Group. Because if you've been hurt or injured in an accident, you need to be made right. You need to be made whole. Someone's kind of taken something from you and you want the compensation you deserve for that. Well, trust my friends at the Durham Law Group because they don't just practice personal injury law. They define it. And one of the ways in which they do that is by making a very important promise to you that they don't get paid unless you get paid. So that means no fees, no expenses, unless you win. With our friends at the Durham Law Group, you've got a really good chance of doing just that. So make sure you reach out to them. Give them a call, 844-4GA-HURT. That's 844-4GA-HURT. Or you can find them online at georgiahurt.com. That is georgiahurt.com. You can find them today and make sure you check them out. All right, great golden shoe for us today. It is very appropriate given the circumstances. We are Dog Nation Daily, as I said earlier. It ain't Dog Nation Daily unless you do it each and every day, and we do it each and every day, and that's the uh, spirit and the theme behind our golden shoe here for today. Let's show this to you here. So Joshua Campbell shared this with me, and by the way, in doing so, he gives you the hashtag go for 2 and 22 which I love, and also hashtag GatorHater there as well but you love the way in which the uh, go for two and 22 is starting to take off he also says no off week here and he shares a tweet from we are dog nation who admits to not making this meme but then sharing it and you see the uh the the good looking uh illustration here that says there's no such thing as an off week and you got a scared looking gator with that georgia bulldog peering through the window and ready to do some damage which is exactly what it's going to be like two weeks from now. So good stuff from We Are Dog Nation. Good stuff from Joshua Campbell, who shared it with me. Golden shoes all the way around. And a hearty reminder that it's been a long time since those lousy, stinking Gators have won a national championship. 5,031 days. And coming up in only a matter of time, Georgia's going to see what they can do to extend that misery for Florida. How about 11 days from right now in Jacksonville against those lousy, stinking Gators? That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Sanders podcast, Cool Down. Take some of your comments here. This related to yesterday's show, most of these found at dognation.com. Tom uh, Bombadil uh, writes in to say it doesn't matter that with a Tennessee win uh, beats Alabama. If Tennessee had lost, Georgia still has to play them. If Tennessee wins, they still win the East and go to the SEC final. The Tennessee win means nothing as regards to what Georgia has to do. That is true, but it, it's undeniable that it changes the feeling around that game. And Saturday became a reminder that, you know, business, to quote Jim Ross here for a moment, is really picking up. Now, we also gave you some data today that suggests that Georgia's still a pretty big favorite in all of these games. But the overall feel from final Saturday in October throughout the season on the other side of January is just an incredibly different feel than, than it has been here up to this point in time. Um, osmosis phobe pointing out the caption on the photo at dognation.com oftentimes so i try not to use photos that other people use which means i have to go back and sometimes grab a little older photo and so i don't typically change the captions in those photos when i do that um all right let's see what else uh 
Lauren, what do you got? Weighs in to say the only thing that is uh, uh, kind of mentioning, I guess, the idea of like rat poison for the game. I just am sort of done with rat poison one way or another. I'm done with, you know, uh, it's hard for Tennessee because they're being hyped up too much. It's better for Georgia because they're not being hyped up quite as much. Like the, the silliest form of propaganda in the world, I believe, is the idea that somehow the win is influenced by what somebody says or doesn't say. The win is influenced by how players play, how coaches coach, what happens between the white lines. And the whole idea of rat poison, as invented by Nick Saban a few years ago, the notion that saying good things is bad and saying bad things is good, that's just as silly as it sounds, at least in my mind. Whatever determines the outcome of the Georgia-Tennessee game, whether it be a Georgia win or not, is not going to be based on rat poison. I just don't believe that exists. I just don't. Old Dog 76 checks in to say one way or another, Georgia has to go through Tennessee to get where it needs to be. The old, if you want to be the best, you're going to uh, beat the best scenario. Yeah. I mean, pretty clearly the uh, road to any national, not just the road to the SEC East championship, but the road to the national championship runs through Athens, Georgia right now. And I think one of the takeaways that I have here is, is about as good as you can feel that Georgia seems to be peaking at about the right time, which is kind of a fun thing to consider. Not fully healthy and not perfect. No one is, but very, very, very good. Maybe even better than some people realize. Yeah, there's a chance I believe that is true. So really good comments. We love reading those and sharing those as a part of our podcast, Cool Down, and we'll see all of you back here tomorrow. Of course, big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it possible. Find them online, rsandrews.com. Heating system. It was cold this morning. Get yours tuned back up to factory fresh specs. It only costs you $99. And you can find out more at rsandrews.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.